Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is June 25th. Well, just ahead, Nike crushes the quarter and finds digital changing every part of their business. This is the story you've got to hear. And Express says people are flocking to the malls. And finally, our guest Marcus Moore, portfolio manager at Zio Capital Advisors, will help us drill down to the company once known as Brown Shoes. It's the fascinating story of Calaris. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we love it when you listen to The Drill Down every day like so many of our listeners tell us they are doing. It's a lot easier when you click the subscribe button and follow us you can download every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to explain the business stories behind some stocks on the move. And joining me today, our editor, Ben Wilson. Ben? Good to be here, Corey. Uh, great stuff. Well, I'm going to tell you the three most important developments in the world of business today. Three most important stories. Number one. Spending was flat last month as consumers cut back on big ticket purchases. We got new data for the month showing us that they spent more in in-person services. But revised April numbers and the new May numbers show us how strong consumer spending was in the spring. And uh, it was extraordinary. Uh, April was nearly twice as good as we thought. We thought was a, a half percent gain in April. It was actually revised up to 0.9%. And May spending well above pre-pandemic levels was spending on goods nearly 20% uh, higher than they were in February of 2020, and services down only about 1%. Corey, do you think that the uh, lower big-ticket spending has to do with when people are getting their tax returns? Uh, it, probably not, because it's, uh, it was delayed this year. I think really what we're looking at is uh, uh, just the resumption of, of spending on you know service items that, that you just couldn't do when you were cooped up at home. Uh, that's not the case in where people are getting out. I can tell you I've been up and down the eastern seaboard this week, and and we see it. Makes sense to me. All right, second most in story, uh, business story of the day. Royal Caribbean Cruises said two unvaccinated children on the Adventure of the Seas tested positive for COVID-19 before returning home. Mandatory testing uh, picked that up, and both were put into quarantine. Both kids under, under the age of 16 immediately quarantined, the cruise operator said Thursday on its website. Uh, one was asymptomatic, the other had mild symptoms, according to uh, Royal Caribbean Cruise lines are set to resume U.S. operations after a month-long shutdown, many months because of coronavirus, but also a fight with the uh, CDC about what they would be allowed to do. Uh, but a mix of vaccinated guests and youngsters who haven't had vaccines, uh, the positive test might have been inevitable. Uh, nonetheless, uh, this particular situation, two guests in the, in the larger party, the whole large party, uh, had been vaccinated. They all tested negative, according to Royal Caribbean. But uh, this shows us that the risk uh, is still prevalent out there to the unvaccinated. 
and to that business. All right, story number three, Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic Holdings one step closer, sending customers to space or, well, not really to space, to the edge of space. They're not going all the way to space, but to the edge of space, federal regulators have expanded the company's operator's license. The FAA granting approval for full commercial space launching and opening the door for outside passengers to join those flights. The approval followed a test on May 22nd, which we covered here. Uh, now, the license was expected. Nonetheless, Virgin Galactic shares are up 34% on the news. Uh, it's an excitable stock, uh, and, and hopefully the, the company's not quite as volatile. Um, they're in something of a space race with Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos's rocket tourism company. Blue Origin has said its first manned flight will take place in July with Bezos himself as a passenger, but Blue Origin does not have that FAA license yet. It sounds like a pretty major snag for Blue Origin not having that license. Uh, they may yet get it. I mean, uh, Virgin told it didn't have it when they were flying in May, and here they are in, in early June, and, and uh, they're in good shape, or late June, I guess. But we'll, we'll, we'll see if uh, Blue Origin will get ready soon. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's take a look at Nike, since you're, you know, you're right up there in Portland. Why not? Exactly. Right next door. Looks like Nike's got some spring in their step. They're up 12% today and 254% for the year. What's up with Nike? I see what you did there, spring in the step. Right, right down with those folks in Beaverton. Uh, Nike reported <laughs> a spectacular quarter. You know, you look at that gain of 254% in the year, and you think, what is this? It's not, it's not like we're talking about Zoom or some digital company that benefited from COVID and, and people being home. But they did, and that's how they did it. Their global sales doubled in the year ending, uh, in, the, in the quarter ending uh, May 31st, to $12.3 billion, so double over a year ago. Um, they they just crushed their growth targets and had a fantastic year doing so. And uh, the CEO, John Donahoe, who had come from uh, ServiceNow, before that he was at, at eBay for quite a while, he really showed how this focusing on digital for Nike helped them really completely change the Nike business by kind of changing everything that they do and having a lot more insight into what was going on with their customers. I'll, yes, allowing them to sell shoes and clothing, but uh, by understanding what the customers want, by anticipating their needs based on what they saw with their interactive action with their digital uh, uh, products and even uh, creating new products and even changing their supply line. They could see when someone was about to order a certain kind of chew based on a certain kind of activity and they could pre-order those products and get them in market in time all because they're getting closer to the customer on digital. Here is CEO John Donahoe. It's really interesting. I think this applies to every company out there on what's possible with digital. Here's John Donahoe. There's a fundamental shift in consumer behavior toward digital. And that's been happening, but the pandemic has simply accelerated that. And that provides the opportunity for us to have a direct connection with consumers, which is increasingly important in a digital world where, where consumers, while they're going more digital, are focusing on fewer and fewer apps. And we are going to be one of the very few apps that have a direct connection with consumers. And that's unlocking, that's unlocking great growth. That's unlocking growth in our ability to serve them with more personalized shopping experiences, with recommendations across our vast, our vast product portfolio, with services and other ways to engage them like Nike Run Club, Nike Trading Club. So we think we're one of the very few in our industry that will be able to establish that direct connection with consumers, both around commerce, but also engage them on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. And then that produces great consumer insight. 
and that consumer insight has a bit of a virtuous cycle. The more you have of it, the more you can use it. You can use that consumer insight, as I said earlier, on personalizing a recommendation or anticipating a need, on replenishing a product when, when you know they're going to need it. It also drives efficiency in our operations, right? We talk about building a digital supply chain. What that's all about is having the intelligence to know having the right product in the right place at the right time so that we can deliver that product in a low cost, convenient and speedy and and, and a climate friendly way. And last but not least, that, day, that, that insight, consumer insight helps fuel product creation. I mean, it, the more we know about our consumers, the more we can build the kind of compelling product that they want and need. So, so we, we feel like, as Matt said, there's a, there's a virtuous cycle by embracing our digital transformation as aggressive as, as we are. We think we can create competitive separation. And, and so, you know, and we still, we think it's gonna be a, 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 a journey that has continuous improvement and continuous ROI and benefits along the way. I don't know there's a long soundbite, but just, I think it's just so fascinating how they're using, you know, the knowledge they're getting from customers using apps like the Nike running app. They can see if someone's got 300 miles on their shoes by how much they're running. And they know that customer is going to come back to the store and need a new shoe. And they can get that in market in time for that replenishment is John uh, just shared with us. Um, uh, and I, I just think it's just fascinating and it's why this digital stuff is so interesting and that accelerating so much during COVID proved to be really good for Nike in the most recent quarter. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at that great mall retailer. Well, they're in malls and not malls. Express. Express looks like they are on the fast track to success and growth up 24% today and 364% in the last year. What's going on with Express? Yeah, this looks like a retailer left for dead. Um, it was briefly um, uh, uh, admired by the folks on Wall Street Bets and Reddit who tried to run the stock. The company actually took that, just like AMC, when they saw the stock running up because of whatever reason, they got out there and sold a bunch more shares fixing up their balance sheet a little bit. And now they've got people coming back to malls. So when those Nike numbers came out and just we could see that people were spending, 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 I think across a lot of the the, the uh, retailers and mall retailers in particular, a lot of those stocks moved today and maybe want to go look at Express and really see how their business is doing. And the answer is they were doing really well. Um, they have uh, really hit an inflection point, kind of a post-COVID inflection point where they see not just a return of customers, but customers um, trying to make up for lost time and buying the kinds of clothes that they weren't buying. For example, uh, customers uh, were making a shift. A lot of women are making the shift from skinny jeans to wide leg jeans two years ago. Pandemic hits, they actually go back to kind of skinny jeans and leggings. And the, and the change in the denim business didn't happen. Well, now they said in the conference call, we're going back to wide leg jeans. That's that that sort of refreshing of the closet is something that's happening for a lot of women and a lot of men. And Express is seeing this. Uh, listen to what the CEO, uh, Tim Baxter, had to say about this change. And he uses a word you rarely hear a CEO use, explosive, in terms of what the change is and the growth that they're seeing. Restrictions have lifted. We have certainly, though, seen a resurgence in occasion-based categories like women's dresses. Um, you know, one of the most powerful categories for us. Uh, and, and that has um, just exploded, uh, quite honestly, a huge trend change, and men's suits. And, you know, men's suits, a lot of people think of men's suits as a where-to-work category. Um, 
I don't think of it that way. I think men's suits are an occasion-based category uh, now, uh, as most men are, are not wearing suits every day to work, certainly some, some days, but not every day. So, uh, and that, you know, we've, we've seen an enormous um, change in the men's suit business you know, from uh, down uh, double digits, versus high double digits versus 2019 to up. Um, now versus uh, 2019. So there's absolutely been a resurgence in occasion-based uh, wear. And anecdotally, you know, we know from user-generated content that we uh, receive from our consumers, uh, from customer comments on uh, social media, and certainly from comments uh, from customers in stores, that they are going out again um, and that they are specifically coming into our stores and going online um, to rebuild wardrobes that haven't been refreshed in a couple of years. So maybe the move towards uh, uh, this stock of late, the Reddit guys aren't crazy. They're really seeing the benefit of, uh, of the change of behavior. And with 500 stores all over the country um, and in Puerto Rico, uh, growth is hitting express. All right, Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's take a look at Cal Amp. CalAmp Corp, down 12% today, up 67% in the last year. What's going on with CalAmp? So CalAmp is a company that can't seem to get out of its own way. It hasn't seen revenues grow. You know, they, in 2019, they did 312 million. 2020, they did 321 million. 2021, they did 309 million. Uh, they reported a lousy quarter and the stock uh, got hit hard today. You would think they're in a good place because they're dealing with telematics, devices that help uh, companies and even individuals sort of know what's happening with their automobiles, with their vehicles, where their vehicles are. Um, they both sell software and hardware into these these fleets, managing cargo, managing containers, managing drivers, tractors, you know, even EV power management um, and uh, managing, you know, school buses and letting parents know where the school buses are, the drivers are and so on. Um, this is a business that should be doing better and should have been doing well. They've really been constrained by the inability to get semiconductors and the slowdown in the manufacture of cars because they tend to sell into those manufacturers like Toyota, like Ford. You know, Hertz and Avis uses these things as well, um, as does Caterpillar, really importantly, um, and, and others. Well, Amazon, UPS, FedEx. Uh, and these guys just, uh, they've been talking about moving towards a software-heavy model. So you would think software as a service, software to sell to all these fleets and everything would have protected them from the slowdown in cars, particularly because they think software is going to get to be a larger part of their business over time. Uh, it was about, and, and it has been growing from 75 million three years ago to 130 million uh, in the most recent year, but it's not enough. And it turns out even that business is constrained by the inability of getting cars out in the road and getting their hardware into the cars to turn the software on. Here is the CEO, Jeff Gardner. We are expecting um, a re really good year as we kind of manage through this um, shortage and in, in, in the near term. Sure you are. And so we've, we've been investing in the business, uh, adding salespeople, uh, engineers, and um, product people that are gonna allow us to kind of hit the demand that we think is out there today. So um, it's not like we're frozen. It's really an odd time because things are going extremely well. And as I said, we could have put up much bigger numbers in the quarter if not for this global supply chain. 
Yeah, things would have been great if they had been different. I mean, things are going extremely well. We just can't sell stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. In any case, CalAmp, rough quarter because they can't get product on the market. They can't get hardware in market. They can't get cars out in the road because the car makers can't get the semiconductors from other suppliers to get those cars on the road. And that has slowed down their software sales and it's slowed down CalAmp. All right, up next, our guest, Marcus Moore, portfolio manager for Zio Capital Advisors, shares with us the interesting story of the company once known as Brown Shoes. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities, learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod, and check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks you think we should be drilling down on. Welcome back to The Drill Down. Our guest, Marcus Moore, Portfolio Manager at Zio Capital Advisors. Marcus, uh, good to have you on the show. I, I hate it when I listen to other podcasts and they say, good to see you, because our listeners can't see you. I can see right. you on my right. yeah, little true. squadcast true. screen here. <laughs> good to be you seen brought, by you and heard by the audience. There we go. Uh, and and the story you're going to share with us right now is about a company called Calaris? Calaris? Calaris. Calaris. Um, and this is the former brown shoe company. Yes, yes. Um, in a galaxy long, and it was a far, far away. Uh, I used to be yes. a dedicated high yield retail analyst, and so I go back with Calaris till it was the brown shoe company um, in the early, uh, I say late two thousands, early two thousand aughts. I guess what do you call this? Tens, the tens, whatever that was called. Yeah. I don't even know. But so it's been you know 12, 13, 14 years of a history with Calaris and. Uh, have always been very impressed by the business, how it's managed. And, you know, I think there's um, even, you know, they, they have a bright future ahead of them. Uh, so it's an interesting business and a, and a big business. I mean, yeah. they, uh, uh, it's, you know, it's, well, it's just the last quarter alone, they did $636 million in revenues. Yeah. Um, I think it's like two to 3 billion on a normalized basis. Um, obviously, you know, results for 2020 and then also the first quarter of 2021 are still um, impacted by uh, the, the pandemic. And, you know, to some extent, people not going out as much, schools not being open, uh, people not fully back into the offices. But I mean, one of the things I like the most about this and, you know, kind of like the start is obvious is just the reopening trade. Right. You have two segments, uh, the famous footwear segment, which is their traditional brick and mortar retail outlet. Uh, focusing on mid-tier and family footwear. Um, I think one of the things that I kind of like about it is that it's really kind of center of the fairway from a price point standpoint. So it really does focus on affordability and access. Um, so what are we again, talking about price-wise? Yeah, from a price from a price standpoint. Um, and then also, uh, you know, it's a, it's a place where the, the entire family can shop. So instead of having to make three different trips, you can go buy the kids athletic wear. Mom can buy her shoes for an occasion or for work. And dad, if he decides that he doesn't want to sit in the house and watch golf and wants to join the family on the on the shopping trip, he too can walk away with a pair of casual <laughs> shoes or shoes for work as well. They've got that share in those stores, the dad share. Yes, where the dad exactly. sits while everyone else is. Yeah. Um, uh, now this is we're not talking about uh, the the Jimmy Choo's of the world here. 
No, I mean, I think they do have, and so in their branded portfolio, that's the second segment of the business. And the split is about 55-45 famous footwear, which would be the brick and mortar, and then 45% to the branded portfolio. Um, they do have kind of higher end footwear. Uh, most, of, I'd say, you know, like the, yeah, I think their, their top end is kind of somewhere in like that 200 category. So not ridiculous at the, not high fashion as the level of Jimmy Choo, more kind of like affordable or accessible fashion as they would kind of think about it. So um, I was just thinking my former co-anchor, Carol Master, who's a big fan of the Jimmy Choo's, <laughs> there could be no shoe discussion without that. Um, uh, so let me, uh, when you look at this business, I you know, you look at, you see a stock chart like this, which is ridiculous. I don't, I don't like to obsess about stock charts, but yeah. it's kind of amazing to see a stock go from 21 to three and yeah. then kind of climb its way back over the course of, a, of the subsequent year. But you see the results of this company yeah, where revenues uh, in the May quarter, the quarter ending in May of 2020 went from 678 million down to 397 million. Yeah. Right. A 41% decrease. The loss for this company is, is uh, in the same time period, is almost obscene. They went from, you know, basically a break-even business, nine, ten million dollar profit in the in 2019 May's quarter, became a 356 million dollar loss. I mean, that's just yeah. that's just death defying. Uh, what happened to this company during COVID? Well, I mean, I think obviously significant impact given the fact that kids aren't going to school. Uh, you know, there aren't occasions to get dressed up for, and so that definitely hurt. Uh, famous footwear brand of portfolio. And then also there was a mix shift that they had to adjust to. So they had about at that time, somewhere around 60% of their shoes were athletic. So even if there's, you know, schools are closed and you, you can't really go out, you're not going out to work and you're not really having occasions, you still kids shoes, kids feet still continue to grow. And so that was able to kind of, you know, a baseline for the business, but they really only had about 60% of their product in that kind of category. So what they've done over the, you know, the 12 months or, you know, kind of 15 ish of the pandemic, what they really did is kind of one, refocus the offering to have a greater percentage of casual uh, footwear. So it kind of can fit for all occasions. It kind of fits also the broader casualization trend. Um, I think, again, as we go back to work, I think people will be a bit more casual than they were prior to the pandemic. And so kind of aligning their product categories their product offering with that trend is important. Um, they also kind of just got smart with their inventory. Um, when you recognize that, you know, sales are down significantly, like 34, 40% in a year over year quarter, you, they recognize that, you know, we had to pull back on orders, uh, really manage the working capital or manage their balance sheet for cash, which they were able to do in generating over $100 million in free cash flow last year, right. despite the fact that there were significant revenue declines and overall losses on the, um, on the income statement. And then I think, you know, as we look forward, um, you know, that's kind of the position. So they reposition the brand um, from a term offering standpoint. Uh, and then also one of the things that a lot of retailers did, and these guys did a great job of, is just really getting smart about e-commerce and, and recognizing that, again, this pandemic has basically accelerated the digital shift or online shift from a purchasing perspective. And so they made sure that they had, you know, managed their supply chain effectively to meet that demand. And in, as that business has grown and, and achieved greater scale, they're actually now seeing profit from that business, given the fact that they've been able to significantly uh, better utilize their overall inventory. So one of the key notes or one of the key numbers we looked at um, at the end of Q1, uh, 
inventory was down 25% versus Q1 2019, but their revenue was only down 6%. So that means that inventory oh, churn is up significantly. And so that's Which really is what you want in any business. Right, exactly. Uh, the, the, when, I, when I used to be on the short side, uh, uh, the, you know, we spent a lot of time doing a lot of accounting work and doing a lot of screens. And it, it turns out the most successful screen you can possibly run for a company whose stock is about to plummet, whose business is about to plummet, is inventory. It, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, it is the number one indicator. If inventory is up, problems are coming. Yes. And I mean, and that's really the, you know, a part of the story that encouraged us even through the worst of the pandemic is how aggressively they manage their inventory for or their balance sheet for cash, including the inventory. And then as, as you see this digital shift, I mean, you own 900 retail stores in the famous footwear, you own another hundred or so. So you're talking about a thousand, you know, talking about over a thousand retail locations. All of those are kind of last mile points of distribution. And so they retailers and Calaris got really smart about, you know, maximizing the inventory in those stores to meet not only the store in-store customer, but also the online customer. And that's also driven the profitability in that e-com in their e-com business, because as you know, from early 2000, you know, 2009, 10, 11 through, you know, 18 and 19, as retailers are making that transition and that shift to a, a much more a kind of e-commerce environment. They didn't right. really manage the cost of that e-commerce business well. And so you saw, you know, margins plummet and things like that. But now they're to the other side. They now have significant scale. They're at, I think, 26 well, percent. Uh, big growth, I was going to say. Well, there you just gave away the drill down. But yeah. Fine. All right. Sorry. So, they, so they, it's all right. They went from 20 percent. Uh, and you listen to the show, you know, this is an issue. Um, they went from 20 percent of their business was online. Twenty six percent of their business online, still a minority, but that's a thirty percent year uh, increase in a, on a, in a two year basis. That's a substantial, substantial yeah, change mean, from from first quarter two thousand nineteen to first quarter two thousand twenty one. Yes, and then the ability to 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 manage that growth profitably, and I mean, I think that's the biggest takeaway is that you know you've seen that that shift, but you're not seeing the accompanying shift you saw five years ago would have been this explosive e-commerce growth, but significant margin pressure. Now you're seeing explosive e-com growth and explosive margin growth because they're managing that channel much more effectively. And a lot of that has to do with how well they're managing the inventory within their stores and through their online uh, supply chain. Is there room for them to continue to have such a massive um, retail experience? Is, is, is shoes, you know, how much shoe purchasing is particularly in this, in this price uh, category, this price range can go online and 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 might not go online to the famous footballer, might not go online for for this company, might go to Amazon or, or Zappos or somebody else. I think one of the the uh, things also that I thought was the, the market fully appreciates is that these large brands, Nike, Adidas, etc., especially in the kind of more casual footwear uh, category, have recognized over the last three to four years that they need to preserve their own brand image. And so you've seen Nike talk about stepping away from as much activity or as, as much online sales with Amazon because they recognize that to some extent it's great to have that distribution. But if Amazon doesn't care about making a profit on your shoes, that means your brand to some extent is being tainted by that. And so these you know, large brands, Nike, these, et cetera, are really looking to partner with people who care about profit. And so, you know, Nike has acknowledged that Famous Footwear is one of their key strategic partners. 
and actually a lot of brands have come out over the last couple of years because of the channel access, the number of retail stores in terms of, you know, 900 points of distribution and the target in terms of kind of mid-tier price points for the entire family, that's an attractive demographic for all brands, right? Because when you think about, you know, lifetime value of a customer, right? The earlier you get that customer in, the more value they're going to accrue to you over the life. And so given the positioning that Famous Footwear has, they're always going to be a very attractive channel for the large kind of footwear brands to enter into because at, at some point, the thought is that we will cross this customer along their lifetime journey. And to the extent we provide them with a really good product, really good quality and some affinity, that means that they'll likely stay with us over a much longer period of time and we make more money off of them for it. Customer acquisition cost is better when you keep the customer, right? Yes. Yes. Um, what, what is, I, I hesitate to ask, the, the blowfish problem. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the, what, what's the story there? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know to what extent it's a problem. I mean, they acquired the brand, I think it's been about two years now. Um, and it's, a, it's an interesting acquisition. I mean, and it's another piece of the puzzle that we like this company is that they've been very active in kind of managing the portfolio, um, divesting of brands that haven't, you know, performed up to standards, you know, making acquisitions in new brands or kind of future growth vehicles. Um, and so, you know, at the time, you know, this was, you know, a, a really small kind of Malibu based kind of young, uh, millennial type customer. So it's kind of that SoCal ethos. And so, you know, they're seeing, you know, I mean, they grew uh, in, in this most recent quarter, they grew sales over 50 percent since 2000 versus 1Q 2019. And so the, the, the brand is seeing tremendous growth. Um, I think there may have been some issues around the time of, of the acquisition, but they have integrated them and have moved well past them now. Yeah, that was all the way back in 2018. It's just it it, it continues when I when I look at adjusted earnings, I I always you know I, I I stop and I'm like, okay, <laughs> do I I I believe that some you do need to make adjustments sometimes when you look at companies to understand how they're performing over time. But when you see those adjustments, quite often some companies will use that to make a bad situation look better when it isn't. True, and I mean I think anytime you look at an acquisition. Um, and I mean, I think they did also at the time of the acquisition, there were some kind of changes in terms of product quality and, and the like. And so you usually will see a huge write down on inventory as they kind of clear through that. And they kind of bring in renewed and fresher inventory, fresher styles. And as I mentioned, obviously, given the fact you've seen 1Q21 growth up 50 percent versus 2019, it speaks to there's been some success in that transition. It makes me also look, though, when they do what they call business exit adjustments. I'm like, wait, so you only count your winners? You don't count your losers? That's how that's how we play this game? Well, the losers do count on the bottom line. Because if you only count the buckets that go in, I'm a spectacular shooter. Well, as as, as an investor who cares about cash flow, uh, you know, if those losers drain you from your cash flow, I care, I feel it, and I recognize it. So it it matters. But in your case of these guys, it's not material. Um, well, they've moved past it. So obviously you saw those, those, those write downs in 2018, 2019, but you're kind of beyond that now. And that business is again, as we mentioned, just growing at, at, a, at a great clip and they feel very comfortable about it. Um, and then also it kind of goes into the, you know, we, we talk about sustainability at Zio a lot and, you know, the millennial and Gen Z customer, which is the center of the fairway for Malibu blowfish really care about these things. I mean, the data suggests that 
you know, 75, 80% of millennials and Gen Zers are willing to pay more for a product that they view to be sustainable. And so, you know, Malibu Blowfish has a line of like 100% cruelty-free vegan shoes. Now, look, I, I'm not vegan. And they're and delicious. I don't know how you make... I don't fully know how you make vegan shoes, but they do. And that's important because that customer cares about that. Like that customer wants to know that the brands they're buying into are actually good for the environment and care about their impact on the environment and want to make things better. Calaris. Interesting story. Marcus, thank you for bringing this to us. Marcus Moore, portfolio manager with Zio Capital Advisors. Good to hear you. Thank you. Have a good one. Good luck with everything. We appreciate it. All right. Well, up next on the drill down the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Marcus couldn't steal all the good numbers with Calaris. Here's an interesting one. So we've talked a little bit about this concept of last last year. So compare this year versus last last year or 2019. We're going to look at the uh, adjusted, yes, but the operating profit margins for this company actually got better from where they were in 2019. We'll give you that last last year profit margin uh, comparison right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot And we know you learned some rando fact listening to The Drill Down this week. You're going to be sitting around at the barbecue this weekend telling your friends, you know, Nike's change their supply chain based on what you're doing with your Apple Watch. That's right. They know when your shoes are wearing out. Whatever it is. Maybe you know something about brown shoes. Maybe you learned something about Express. Whatever it is. Those clever tidbits make you look so smart. But give it up. Tell your friends about the drill down. Tell them where you learned all this interesting stuff. Maybe even leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Let's let the rest of the world know what you've found here on the drill down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. I want to go last, last year. Look at Calaris. Look at how their profit margins have gotten so better. These are adjusted margins, as we mentioned. Uh, But uh, two years ago, last, last year, First quarter of 2019, this company had a 3.7% profit margin. Well, it's now 4.9%. So from 3.7% to two years later to 4.9%. This business is stronger, a lot stronger than it was before COVID. That's a 33% or 32% increase in the profit margins for this uh, shoe business. If I grew 32% over two years, I'd be like, I'd be like eight feet tall. That would be impressive. Thank you for listening to The Drill Down. You're glad you don't have to see me at eight feet tall. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. <laughs>